I am so excited to bring the word to you guys. And uh, I know you've been in a series, but we're going to take a deviation from the series this morning. And I want to talk to you uh, about a subject that uh, I'm actually dealing with and walking through right now uh, in the chapter of life that my wife and I are in. Uh, I mentioned to the first service, uh, for the last three years, God put a, a dream and a vision in my wife and I's heart to, to do something unique, something different, uh, to step out in faith. And uh, coming next year, we'll be planning a church in San Francisco. Uh, it's awesome. We'll be in the Sunset District uh, over there on the left-hand side of the city under Golden Gate Park, and uh, I'm so excited to take our DNA and our church into a city that so desperately needs Jesus, and I'm believing for good things. There's a lot of great churches coming to San Francisco right now, and I think it's prophetic. I think God is doing something unique to see an awakening take place that's historic in nature. So uh, as I've been walking through the last few months and years of my life, uh, I've come up against an enemy that I think many of you in the room uh, have faced, perhaps you are facing today. It's a four-letter F word that, uh, not that one, but uh, it's a four-letter F word that, that, uh, that I think messes with so many believers and keeps us stuck in our journey of faith, and that is fear. I want to talk to you this morning about, about fear, this, this great enemy of your faith. Uh, if you're a Christ follower, if you've been on the journey for any length of time, you probably know that you've been called to live a life of faith. That's what the Bible calls it, to live by faith and not by sight, as it says in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Galatians 2.20, famous verse, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've been called to do irrational, illogical, sometimes crazy things, like stepping out of a comfortable job in an easy city and moving to San Francisco where every nutbag on the planet lives. Like, that's, that's what we've been called to do sometimes in our journey of faith. But if you've noticed by now, living a life of faith is definitely easier said than done. Uh, it's something that we can, we can talk about often. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk. I'm going I'm to join the dream team and I'm going to serve. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to give for the first time. It's easy to talk about things of faith, but then when we actually are faced with them, when we actually have to step out, when we actually have to cut the check, often we are faced with this enemy called fear. And fear keeps us from stepping out in faith. And both of these two things have a voice, do they not? Faith has a voice and fear has a voice. And they are constantly talking to you, like the little angels on your shoulder that you've seen in the movies. There are two voices that are, that are constantly vying for your attention. If faith says, I'm going to step out and I'm going to share what God's done in my life with my family members that don't know him, with my coworkers, with my neighbors, fear says, you better not open your mouth, you better not say anything, they'll probably reject you as they always have, so you better just keep your mouth shut. If faith says, I'm going to cut that check, I'm going to start tithing, I know, I know it doesn't make sense, but I believe what the Bible says about my finances, then fear says, you can't even pay your bills right now. How are you going to afford paying that church 10% of your income? If, if faith says, I'm going to step out and plant a church in San Francisco, fear says you're going to lose your money, your kids are going to go sideways, your family's going to get broken apart. Why would you do something like that? Just stay in Vacaville where it's comfortable. Faith and fear have two contradicting voices. And yet, despite the contradiction, you've been called to live by faith. You've been called to do crazy things. You have not been called to live a safe life where you come to church once a week and, you know, someone tickles your intellect while you go out and do it all over again the next week. No, you've been called to take some risks, to step out of the boat, to walk on the water, to do things that don't make sense sometimes for the sake of the kingdom and the advancement of the gospel. That's what you have been called to do. And if we're going to do the very thing that God has called us to do, we must understand how to fight this enemy called fear. We've got to overcome fear. So today, here's what I believe is going to happen over the few moments we have together. I think that the Holy Spirit is going to equip some people to live by faith and to no longer be 
no longer be, be messed with, uh, overtaken by the spirit of fear that so many of us face. So I want to look at one scripture as we do this this morning. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can open up in there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, but before we go there, I want to encourage you to do something. I, I don't know if you guys do this already at your church, and uh, I think sometimes it's easy to read the Bible, but uh, I want to encourage you to memorize some Bible this morning. Would you do that with me this week? I want to give you some homework as you go home. I want you to memorize a scripture. Uh, I've I found this. I, I face the enemy many times in my life, and in those moments, one of the most powerful things I can do is begin to declare the word of God over my life. Declare what the scripture says over my life. I used to tell our students when I was a youth pastor that the smartest thing you can do is memorize the scriptures for the battles you're going to face. It's like having ammunition inside the clip of your gun. If you walked up to a fight and you knew you were about to take out your gun and you had no ammo in it, it doesn't matter that you have a gun. It's not going to do you any good. No, you need to lock and load some scriptures in your heart so that when you face the enemy, you have something to fight with. You guys got that way better than the first service. Good job. All right. I had to give a weird analogy in the first service just for that to make sense. You guys are more fun. That's awesome. So I want to encourage you, memorize this scripture this week because here's the deal. You're going to face fear. All of us are going to face it in this life. And if you know you're going to face it, let's go ahead and lock this bullet in the chamber so that we can overcome fear when it comes. Amen? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Come on, let's say it together. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Come on, turn to the person next to you, and let's tell them. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Some of you are still looking at me. Thanks for following directions. I appreciate that. <laughs> Maybe you have bad breath. I don't know. All right. If you're going to take notes this morning, the title of our chat today is, It's Just a Shadow. It's just a shadow. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, love you. Love you for who you are. I love you for what you're doing in this church. God, I thank you that today your presence is here. Your spirit is here. And God, you've come to do business with people. God, we didn't come today to leave the same. We came to be changed. We came because we actually believe that your word and your presence have the power to transform us before we leave this place. God, I know that across this room, many of us are dealing with fear. Many of us are facing things that are insurmountable. They're, they're larger than us. We, we don't have the ability to overcome it. But by faith, God, we believe that you're going to equip us today to fight a good fight, to leave this place differently, to overcome our enemy, and to begin to live in victory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Let me ask you this morning, how many of you guys have ever been the victims of theft? Anything ever been stolen from you before? Awesome. Shout some stuff out. What'd they take from you? Ring, a water bottle, What? A guessing game. I heard boyfriend. That's awesome. <laughs> Honey, she didn't take him from you. He just left, okay? <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, iPad, laptop. What else? Come on, shout some stuff out. Car. Someone said car. Okay. We've all, we've all had some stuff taken from us. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I had a necklace that my grandfather gave me. And a friend of mine took it from me and then claimed that his grandfather gave it to him. Uh, we are no longer friends to this day for sure. Uh, I had someone take a wallet from me in Oakland uh, a couple of years ago, which I know is not surprising at all. But uh, I have my wallet taken. How many have your wallet taken from you? That's just terrible. Uh, I actually had a guy try to steal a car from me a couple of years ago. Um, I, was, uh, I drove up to the, the dry cleaners and I grabbed my dry cleaning out of the back of the car and I left the car running. Uh, and I should have learned my lesson. I still do this, and I'm stupid. But uh, I left the car running, and I walked in. I dropped my dry cleaning off. And as I walked out the door, 45 seconds later, I see somebody driving away in my car. And I'm like, hey, 
The guy stops the car, looks out the window, and he's like, Is, is this your car? I said, well, it ain't yours. And he, he said, well, I saw it rolling backwards, and so I wanted to take it to a safer parking spot in the parking lot for you. You want me to do that? And I'm like, no, I'll take it back, right? And he literally got out. It was the weirdest interaction I've ever had with a criminal in my life. Like, he got out of the car and just walked away. I'm like, yeah, that's right. But, yeah. But the, the worst interaction I've ever had with a criminal was probably about a, a year and a half. Or no, about a year ago, this time last summer. Uh, my wife and I, at the end of the summer, uh, my kids were, were getting restless around the house. And one day we decided, let's take them to the water slide park and, and get, their, uh, get their jitters out. So we pack up the family. We get in the car. We head out to uh, Golfland Sunsplash in Roseville. And we were thinking it's a Monday. Nobody's going to be there. But I guess it was like the last day of the season that the park was open. And so the place was packed. And we pull up, there's not a parking spot to be found inside the parking lot. We're driving around for 20, 30 minutes trying to find something. No one's leaving. So finally we decide, okay, well, let's just park at this dirt lot across the street. There's like a big highway thing. And we park over there uh, next to some other cars that are parked by this creek. And it was a seedy parking lot for sure, but we didn't think much of it because there were other cars there. So because we were so far away from the entrance, uh, we decided we needed to take as many of our belongings as possible uh, so that we didn't have to go back and forth to the car. So she, she grabs her car keys and some cash and some other stuff and, and loads them into a bag. And then she takes her purse and tucks it in the back seat. And we go across and we play all day long at the park. And my wife is like one of these weird people that's like freakishly excited about water slides. So it's all day long. She's riding all the water slides. I literally got stuck all day long in the kid pool with my children, which we all know is nothing more than a glorified toilet with urine. So I... I played in pee all day while my wife enjoyed herself. And about 5 o'clock, I'm like, I'm done. Let's leave. So uh, I, I go back across the street to get the car. And when I walk up to our vehicle, I notice that the back window has been completely shattered. And at first I thought, okay, well, maybe someone threw a rock or a kid was messing with us. But quickly we realized, no, no, somebody grabbed her purse out of the back seat and they took off. And if you've ever had your wallet or your purse stolen from you, it is like, it, it's trauma. Like, you have to call every bank and every card and, and you're on the phone with the insurance company trying to figure everything out. And so my kids are sitting in this parking lot baking for an hour while I'm on the phone with insurance trying to figure all this stuff out. And finally, my wife's like, we just need to go and get some dinner and chill out. Everybody's just on edge. So we go and get dinner. We hang out for a bit. We calm down. We get back in the car, and we start the drive home. And about halfway home, my wife just starts crying in the front seat of the car. And I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm consoling. I'm like, I know, baby. Stupid. You shouldn't have left your, your purse in the back seat of the car. I understand why you're crying. She says, no, you idiot. I just realized it was in my purse. So it was in your purse. And she's like, well, my ID was in there with our address. And attached to my wallet was our house keys. So, so this thief has our house key and he has our address. Now I say he. It could be a woman for sure. Equal opportunity. But you get it. Now, he could be at our house right now stealing everything. And so we start freaking out. We're still 30 minutes away from the house, and we're going, okay, my car's probably getting stolen. He's taking all of our stuff. What if he comes to our house tonight while we're sleeping, and he messes with our children, and all these scenarios start playing out in our head. So I, I pick up the phone. My family lives about a mile away, and I call my dad, and I said, hey, dad, I need you to do me a favor. He's like, what you got? So there's somebody at our house probably right now stealing everything we own. <laughs> I need you to take your gun and go over to my house, and then just do whatever God tells you to do. And he's like, all right. So, so we pull up to the house about 20, 30 minutes later, and I'm expecting my dad to be out front guarding the house, lights on, everything. That's not what I found. 
it was pitch black outside, and not a single light was turned on in my home, and my dad's car was nowhere, nowhere to be found. And I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm like, did the guy take my dad? Like, did he rob my dad too? What's going on? So being the man that I am, I, I, I opened up the garage door, and I'm like, is anybody home? You know, like just <laughs> very masculine. And as I walk into my garage door, a light turns on in my living room. My dad is sitting on the couch with a gun on his knee pointed in my direction. I'm like, what's the matter with you? What, what are you, where's your car? He's like, well, I, I parked it around the corner in case the guy showed up. I'm like, yeah. Some of you all like that. I know how you are. I'll kill someone coming to my house. Yeah. NRA, good stuff. So my dad leaves. We go to bed. Every shadow, every sound in my mind is a criminal in my home trying to break in. Terrible night's sleep. Wake up the next day. And I'm trying to get everything sorted out with the insurance companies and just chaos. And in the middle of all of this drama, in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all the places my mind has wandered, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Here's what God says. He says, son, that man may have stolen your stuff, but you let him take your peace. I knew exactly what God meant at that moment. He took your stuff, but you let him have something that was not rightfully his to take, something that was yours to cling to in the midst of the storm. You let him have your peace. Listen, I had no control over my wife's belongings being taken out of the back of the car. I had no control over the purse, but I had complete control over the scenarios that I played out in my mind. I had complete control over where I allowed my heart to wander. I had complete control over my peace. Yet I gave it up in the midst of that situation. And you know the irony of the whole deal? I had no reason to be afraid. The guy never came to my house. He never stole any of my stuff. He didn't mess with my kids. In fact, by the time the insurance company repaid us back for everything that the criminal had stolen, I made $1,000 on the deal. I'm like, you robbed me. And I still made money. Like, this is how we do it. By the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's what can happen. You can get robbed and still make money. That's how good God is. <laughs> but there was a casualty in the whole deal. There was something I never got back. Something that was robbed that I never got to take back. I never got to keep my peace in a scenario where I, I should have known better all along. Now, I want to suggest something to you this morning that Maybe you've never considered before. I think that all of you have been the victim of a similar crime. Maybe your purse hasn't been stolen. Maybe your wallet's never been taken. Maybe no one's ever broken into your car. But you have all encountered the one who is trying to take your peace. There is a thief that is after your life. The Bible says in John 10, you have a real enemy. His name's Satan. And his job description is simple. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. The first aspect of his job description is to steal. He's a thief. He wants to take from you. And he's not after your purse. He's not after your stuff. That means nothing to him. He's after the condition of your heart. He's after your peace. Let me peel back the, the curtain on the spirit for just a moment today. The enemy wants to take your peace because if he can take your peace, he can leave you paralyzed and never allow you to move forward in the things of God. If faith, going back to what we said earlier, is the very thing that causes us to step out and do the things that God has called us to do, but fear keeps us paralyzed, the enemy knows if he can keep you afraid, if he can rob you of your peace, then you will never make progress in God. He's after your peace because he wants to keep you where you're at today. He never wants you to fulfill the full call of God on your life. But, but let me be honest with you, if I could, for just a moment. He's a terrible thief. 
He's not even good at what he does. That's his job description, but your God is so much greater than your enemy. He's a terrible thief. Yet here's what I've found. He doesn't have to be very good. Because so many of us have allowed ourselves to become easy targets for the enemy. So many of us just leave our peace out on display for the enemy to take it as win. We put it like this. Let's say you had $100. And, and today you walked out onto the curb and you left that $100 there on the curb. And you said, hey, be safe. I'll be back in a little while. Just hang out here. All is good. And you take off and you go to lunch and enjoy yourself. And, and you come back a few hours later and you find that somebody has taken your $100 bill. Were you the victim of theft? Yes. Did somebody steal from you? Yes, but it wasn't because they were a good thief. It was because you were an easy target. You just left it out of their display. There are so many Christians that leave their peace on display for the enemy to take when they should be guarding it. Well, how's that, Pastor Tim? I know people that are in the room today that are probably fearful about the condition of our nation and where it's headed. Yet instead of reading the word of God and praying for our leaders, we spoon feed ourselves the news three or four hours a day. And all it does is feed us fear, fear, fear. This is what's going to happen. Your president is this and he's that and this is where the nation's headed. And we spoon feed on fear and then we wonder why we're afraid. There are marriages in the room today that are on the rocks and perhaps you're considering divorce. And instead of going to the word of God or seeking counsel, you're talking to your divorced, messed up girlfriend that's been through five husbands, and you're wondering why you're afraid about what your marriage might end up looking like. There are people in the room today that are walking through it financially, and the only person you're asking advice from is your broke uncle that's never had two dimes to rub together. I'm not saying that to offend you. I'm saying we feed on fear, and then we wonder why we're afraid. We leave our peace out on the ground, and we wonder why the enemy is taking it from us so often. But listen, that's not how you've been called to live. There is a peace that is yours to cling to in the midst of your storm. There is a peace that is greater than your circumstance. In fact, the Bible calls it a peace that surpasses all understanding. It don't make sense why you're walking through it, yet you still have a peace in the midst of your heart saying, no, this is not where it ends for me. My greatest days are not behind me. They are, in fact, still in front of me. Listen, there's a God that has given you peace, and it's yours to cling to. Jesus said, this peace I give to you, and if I've given it to you, then the world cannot take it away. Let's be clear. Yes, you have an enemy. Yes, he's a thief. But he's not good enough to take the peace that God has given to you. There's a calm. There's a peace that's available to every believer in the room today if we'll just cling to it. But, but if you're going to overcome this thing called fear, and if you're going to understand how to cling to peace, you must, you must first come to know how your enemy intends to fight you. You've got to know his battle plans. We live near a military base in our city, and I've talked to a few military guys, and they say, you know, one of the greatest things we do when we go to battle is we try to understand the mind of our enemy, because if we know how our enemy thinks, then we can take him from the side and from behind, and we, we can win anything. Sun Tzu, in the book, The Great Art of War, he says, if I knew how my enemy thought, I could go to a thousand battles without fear. Today, Christian, listen, if you knew how your enemy thought about fear, you could fight this thing appropriately. So let's ask this question, what is fear? What is the enemy's plan as it pertains to your faith? Dictionary says it like this. Fear is an emotional response to a perceived threat. If I think that something bad is going to happen to me, then my response is to be anxious, worried, fearful. That's what the dictionary says. I heard a preacher say one time that fear is nothing more than borrowing trouble from tomorrow and living in it today. Powerful. 
So many of us do that. I heard another preacher say one time that fear is nothing more than misapplied faith. Faith says, I believe the best about what God's going to do tomorrow in my life. I believe for the best possible outcome. Fear says, I believe for the worst. It's still faith, but it's faith in the wrong outcome. And I think all of those are true. I think that they are good examples of what fear could produce in our life. But I don't think that they are the root of fear. I think they might be the fruit, but not the root. And if we're going to deal with fear, we cannot cut the fruit from the branches because it grows back. We've got to get down to the roots, pull that thing out of our hearts so that we never deal with it again. So, so what is fear? How does it work? Well, back to our scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, listen, you must understand this. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Fear, fear is not a what. It's not something. It's not an emotional response to a perceived threat. It's not borrowing trouble from tomorrow. It's not misapplied faith. According to scripture, fear is a spirit. Here is why it is imperative that you understand that fear is a spirit and not a what. So many of us are trying to overcome a spirit by natural means. We're trying to fight a spiritual enemy in the natural. And then we wonder why we are still afraid. And let me give you some examples. Our society says, well, if you're afraid and you're anxious and you're worried, I can give you a pill for that. I can send you a counselor for that. You can drink yourself into a stupor. You can take something to make it go away. You can get on social media and tell the world how you feel and it'll make you feel better about it. These are all natural means. They're all natural weapons, but it doesn't work. How do we know? Statistic tells us that we're more hopped up on drugs, counseling, than ever before in our history. People are still afraid. They're still anxious, and they still have no peace. Now, listen, I'm not trying to belittle medicine or counselors. All of that served their purpose, but they are not something that sustains your peace. They're good for a season, but at the end of the day, if you're going to beat this spiritual enemy, you need to learn how to fight in the spirit. Yeah, that's worth a decent amen. Why not? So how? How do you fight in the spirit today? Well, let me give you some no-brainers, okay? If you are not doing these things, then it's like leaving your peace on display for the enemy to take. If you're going to overcome fear, you have to worship, you have to pray, you have to read your Bible, and you have to memorize some scripture. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Pastor Sean, really? You brought this guy out to tell us to read our Bibles more? Okay, if you were doing it, perhaps we wouldn't have to have this conversation. But... <laughs> Yeah, you got to do those basics. They're no-brainers. You have to pray. Philippians chapter 4 says, be anxious about nothing but in everything. Pray, and as you pray, the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds. You have to read your Bible because Ephesians 5 says that our minds are washed by the power of God's word. If your mind is wandering, if it's going places it shouldn't, and you're worried about tomorrow, then give it a bath by getting in the word of God. You have to worship because scripture tells us time and time again that when the people of God are faced with an enemy they can't overcome and they begin to worship, God goes out on their behalf and he begins to fight the battle for them. Look at Acts chapter 9 or the story of Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament. And you have to memorize some scripture because that is the weapon. It's the sword of the spirit that you fight with when you are facing your enemy. You must do these things. Listen, I'm convinced that believers, if we would just do the things we know to do, we wouldn't be taken out time and time again by the enemy. 
We just come to church, read our Bibles, pray, worship in our homes, create an atmosphere in our house where the enemy doesn't have a foothold. He can't enter because it's so filled with the presence of God and worship and the word of God then, then we wouldn't be facing the enemies we face so often. We must do these things. But, but, but I, I, think that, I think that probably the greatest weapon you can employ is not any of those four. It's not even something that you do. I think the greatest way you overcome fear is more of an understanding than it is a doing. And that is, if you're going to overcome fear, if you're going to live by faith, as a believer, you must understand who's with you. You have to know who has your back. Now, this may not have been the case in the early service. You guys are tense, so you're squirrely. You're, you're a little bit different. So I would suggest that there's probably some people here today that maybe you've been in a few fights in your lifetime. Anyone that would be willing to admit that in church? You know, you squabble a little bit. <laughs> My, okay, <laughs> I see you. And, an unassuming woman. That's me. I fight often. I'm like, come on, UFC, cage fighter. I like it. Christian by day, cage fighter by night. Uh, when I was younger, I used to get in a bunch of fights, and I was never the big guy. And I, I learned very early in life that it's really not about your size or your skill, but it's really all about who's got your back. If I have somebody bigger than me, I can talk all the trash I want, and I'll never get into trouble. And uh, I did it often when I was younger, but uh, sometimes I found myself as the bigger guy defending the little one. And uh, I remember when my sister was in fifth grade, and I was a sophomore in high school, uh, she would come home often after school complaining about a young man in her class that was always telling uh, telling lies about her, calling her names, fat, ugly, all this stuff, and she'd come home in tears most days of the week. And uh, we'd console her and do our best, but one day, I remember I was hanging out with a few of my friends at the house after school, and my sister came uh, barreling through the front door just weeping, and her, her little punk kid guy had, had, had said some stuff in front of her class about her that was completely untrue and just mortified her in front of everybody. And so as she's crying, I calmed her down and said, hey, sis, listen, uh, tomorrow... Uh, me and my friends, we're going to go to your school and we're going to have a conversation with your friend. Now, mind you, I'm a sophomore in high school and this is a fifth grade kid, but I didn't process that at the time. <laughs> and so uh, I said, all you got to do tomorrow is after school, just get him off of school grounds and we'll take care of the rest. <laughs> I wasn't a pastor yet. And so I, uh, I, my friends and I would show up the next day and after the school bell rings, my sister and this kid come walking across the schoolyard over to the park next door. And the description she'd given me made it sound like this was like a six-foot, overdeveloped fifth grader with hair on his chest and a deep voice. Not at all what came meandering over the berm. No, just this short little pudgy kid like, you know, just walking over. But I'm like, that's my mortal enemy. Game on. So he walks over to the park, and as soon as he's in eyesight, I say, hey, what's your name? And he just starts shaking. Everywhere. But, <laughs> sorry, that was offsides. Okay. What's your name? He didn't answer. I said, never mind, your name's not important. I understand that you've been saying some things to my sister that no young man should be saying to my sister. And allow me to make myself abundantly clear. If I know, if I hear that you say one more thing to my little sis, me and my friends, we are coming to your house. We're going to find you and take you down. Tenth graders versus this fifth grade kid. He just starts shaking, he runs in the other direction, and we walk away from the whole scenario like we just defeated the biggest gang in all of that. We're like, yeah, we punked that fifth grader, yeah, that kid didn't know what's coming out of, yeah. But I will never forget how my sister walked away from that situation. As soon as we got back in the car, my sister starts walking away, and she's like. Why? Because it's not about your size. 
It's not about your skill. It's about who's got your back. If somebody bigger than you, if somebody greater than you has your back, you can face anything. You can face sickness if you know someone greater has your back. You can face unemployment if you know somebody greater has your back. You can face kids that have gone sideways and aren't serving God anymore if you know you have someone that is bigger behind you who's got your back. You've known this forever. You've known this since you were a kid. I think we need to start applying it to the spirit. When you had a, a, a nightmare in the middle of the night, what did you do? You ran to your parents' room and you got in their bed because as long as you were with someone that was bigger than you, as long as you were with someone that was further along than you, then you knew, I don't have to face this thing alone. I can have faith in the midst of my fear. When you went camping, it was the middle of the night. It was dark outside and you had to go to the bathroom. What did you do? You grabbed your friend because you knew every serial killer on the planet was out there waiting for you and you ran to the bathroom with somebody else because as long as I'm not alone in this scenario, I can face it. Well, the same is true in your faith. If you know who's with you, you do not have to be afraid. 365 times in your Bible, in command form, God says to you, do not be afraid. Consequently, one for every single day of the year, in case you were dadding that up. And I want you to see the promise that accompanies the vast majority of these commands in Scripture. Genesis 26, the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I'm the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid for I am with you and I will bless you. Deuteronomy 31.8, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. First Chronicles 28, then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord my God is with you. Second Chronicles 20, don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you with you. Isaiah 41, don't be afraid for I am with you. Jeremiah 26, don't be afraid Jacob my servant for I am I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. I, I think if we could come to know the God who is with us in the midst of our situation not the God that is far off waiting for us to figure it out or find the job or say the right prayer, or arms folded just saying, when, when the time comes, I'll step in. No, you serve the God that is with you in the storm. He's with you in the valley. He's with you when the divorce papers show up. He's with you in the unemployment. He hasn't left you high and dry. He is standing beside you in the midst of whatever it is you're walking through right now. Come on, how many grateful for a God that doesn't leave you out high and dry, but says, I am Emmanuel, the God that will stand with you in the midst of your storm. Do not be afraid because I'm with you. I'm with you. If I know that God is with me, I can believe for something greater than what I'm facing right now. And listen, when you know that God is with you, you can expose the spirit of fear for what it truly is. As it pertains to the message today, fear, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. Among the 365 command form scriptures about not being afraid, there's one in Psalm 23 that most of us would know. You've heard it at funerals before and you've seen it on television, but here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the 
shadow of death. It's not really death. It's just a shadow. It's not really going to end the way I thought it would. They're not really going to reject me. This isn't, this isn't where I die. Diagnosis is not the final word. It's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. You know what a shadow is, right? A shadow is an amplification of an insignificant reality. A shadow is something being cast to make something appear far greater than it really is. It's very small, but the shadow makes it fear, appear large and fearful. I uh, give you an example. I brought a monkey boy with me this morning. Um, please don't say, oh, this thing is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> monkey boy is my daughter's, uh, my daughter's sleeping companion. And uh, in and of itself, I guess it's not that terrifying. It's just a cabbage patch doll dressed like a monkey, but it's very weird looking for sure. Um, but if you were to stumble across this today on the, on the sidewalk, chances are you're not going to turn and scream in fear and run the other direction because it's a cabbage patch doll dressed like a monkey. It's no, it's no big deal. But here's what the enemy likes to do in our life. He likes to take something that seems small and insignificant, and then he likes to turn the lights off on us. And suddenly, that very small and very insignificant thing begins to look far greater than it really is. Now, you might stumble across this on the sidewalk and not be afraid, but I guarantee if you woke up in the middle of the night and you saw that being cast <laughs> on your bedroom wall, you would shake your spouse and say, we're going to die. <laughs> and this is what the enemy does in our lives. He takes something small and insignificant and it begins to cast a shadow. Suddenly, that thing that should easily be dealt with when considered in comparison to the size of your God is not much larger. Suddenly, you begin to think, okay, the doctor said this, and this is when it's going to end. This is, this is how my life is going to go. My marriage is, it's on the rocks, and probably going to end in divorce. I can't, I can't step out in faith and do what God's called me to do. I'm so, I'm so unqualified. I'm, I'm so insignificant. I can never be like them. I can never be like that. And, and he just keeps this shadow cast on your life, making the small things seem big. But if in these moments we'll do what David did, if we'll simply say, okay, I might be walking through a valley right now, but this isn't where it ends for me. I'm not going to die here. It's just, it's just a shadow. My God is greater than my lack. The last time I checked, Jesus still died for my sickness. By the stripes on his back, I am still made whole. My God shall provide for every single one of my needs. If we'll begin to allow the light of God's presence to begin to shine in our situations, 
First John says, there is no darkness in him, only light. And as we begin to worship him, and we read, and we pray, and we remind ourselves that we serve a God that is with us, he begins to turn the lights back on in our life. And suddenly the very thing that looked huge, that looked significant, is revealed for what it truly is. It actually was never going to take us out. It actually wasn't going to end the way we thought it was. No, it's a cabbage patch doll dressed like a monkey in the spirit. Come on, remind yourselves today how big your God is. Remind yourself today that you serve a God that is greater than any storm you face. He's the same Jesus today that was in the boat with his disciples. And though the wind is howling, and though the rain is falling, he is in the boat still asleep at perfect peace because he knows that with one word, come on church, he can calm your storm. With one word, he can provide for every need. With one word, he can restore your marriage. With one word, he can cause provision to come back to your life. He is with you, so don't be afraid. He's with you. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I say we cling to our peace today. I say we stop living by the mandates of fear. We believe the best about tomorrow and not the worst about tomorrow. Because when we have a God that's with us right now, and he's fighting for us. Amen.